All right, J Coach, we have Reese Davis on with us. Yeah, this is always a real thrill for us to get Reese on. It's become an annual deal, and as long as we keep winning the Natty, we're going to keep busting you <laughs> But uh, but our fans really enjoy the, just the camaraderie we have, and, and of course, uh, what a, what a great thrill it is for me to always talk to you, even if it is a little uh, on the air here. But we do some back and forth, and just for our fans, uh, I keep you rolling on game day with all the info I keep texting you, right? You do. Yes, sir. I, I can always count on uh, hearing from Coach a couple of times during the show. It's always uh, always valuable stuff. I will say I'm surprised that I've been invited on a Georgia podcast because it turns out that there's no way, uh, there's nothing that could possibly be more insulting than me ranking them number two simply because I'm saying, I just want to see the quarterback play. That's all. Right. You know, and I kind of, I did the same thing with, um, with Ohio state and Alabama, you know, for that matter, yeah, I just want to see them play. Hey, you um, but so I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that you guys aren't mad at me because everybody else, everybody else is. We know you got good reasons. I, I saw uh, yesterday L was mad about, the three guys picking Alabama, you know, she she's getting all over a fine bomb about it. It wasn't his fault, but you know, hey, these early season picks, who knows what's going on? But what we want to do is focus mostly on the SEC today, Reese, and uh, uh, just your thoughts on. We're going to go over the Western Division. You don't have to go through every team, but uh, from our standpoint, Dane and I've talked about it. You know, the the big key is what can Alabama do. Uh, to turn it around a little bit with the new staff and all. And, you know, is LSU really the real deal? I mean, that, that's to me the two big questions. Well, I think, first of all, it's really funny. It's sort of like Georgia fans getting mad about being ranked number two or talking about Alabama turning it around. You know, they lost two games on the last play of the game last year. And now it is fair to say that they also won three more that they could have lost on, on the last play. And I don't think they were up to their typical standard. But they're, they're really good, but they've got a major question at quarterback. And they've got new coordinators, one of whom is obviously quite familiar, as, uh, you know, as Kevin Steele has told me in the offseason, I know what he wants, uh, speaking of Nick. And he does because he's been on that staff, and Kevin's a great coach, whether, you know, whether he's coaching for Nick or – or Gus, or Mario Cristobal, whoever he might have, Dabo, whoever he's coached for over the years. Kevin's a terrific defensive coach. So I think I think there will be some, uh, you know, maybe some areas in which they might be more sound there, maybe fewer coverage busts, although you could, I guess you could look back at that Middle Tennessee-Miami game last year and say nobody's immune to coverage busts, no matter who the uh, coordinator is, and Kevin was a coordinator that day. But kind of going big picture here, the SEC West to me looks like this. A two-team race with two potential dark horses if things fall right. LSU and Alabama are the two best teams, and LSU has fewer questions because they don't have as good a roster as Alabama from top to bottom, but they also don't have a question at quarterback. So I think that sort of mitigates a lot of that disadvantage. And the two wild cards in the West that are talented enough if things fall right to upset the apple cart are Ole Miss and Texas A&M. And the Texas A&M thing is fascinating to me because I have high regard for Jimbo Fisher as an offensive coach. But for whatever reason, whether it was the, the demands of running Texas A&M, whether it was personnel, whether it was uh, getting too young, uh, too quickly, too complicated, too, whatever the reason, 
it got flat. So enter Bob Petrino, who is as good a play caller as I've seen, but also has a shelf life. Now, does that shelf, shelf life extend to years or is it weeks or is it plays? You know, I mean, so they're fascinating because they're talented enough to cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. How will that mix go on the sidelines? And I know Jimbo and Bob are sick to death of hearing about it. And Bob says, you know, Jimbo's the boss and all of that. But those are both two strong-willed, really, really good offensive minds. And if it goes well, it could be spectacular. And if it doesn't, it could be a spectacular flameout. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And Ole Miss, the way Ole Miss faded last year, you know, does Lane have them put back together? pulling in the right direction. If so, I, I'm a big Jackson Dart fan. I think he's a really good player and has a chance to continue to get better. And then they've got Spencer Sanders sitting there in the background waiting, and they, of course, brought in Walker Howard. They're, they're in good shape at quarterback. They've got maybe the best running back in the league. Certainly, one, you know, you'd have hard-pressed to win an argument that Quinchon Judkins isn't uh, the best uh, running back in the league. And, you know, and Pete Golding coming over from Alabama as the defensive coordinator probably gives them a little bit of a new look and might help them as well. So uh, that's how I look at the West. Clearly, LSU and Alabama are the uh, – I would deem them co-favorites. And, but I do think there is potential for Ole Miss or A&M, if things fall right, uh, for them to, to uh, kind of create some upsets and some chaos in that division. Yeah, Dane's going to ask you a question about LSU here after this one, but – just without going over any inside info, uh, just tell us your take on the quarterback situation. Not as not exactly how they're going to span out, but just their strengths of those three guys, and maybe a little bit about that young guy from over here in Atlanta that's got the big arm. Just just a real quick little analysis of that uh, quarterback room over there, at Bama. Well, I think they'll start with and this is not inside information, but it's sort of gleaning and reading the tea leaves a little bit. I think they're going to start with Jalen Milrow. And Milrow has the highest upside. His upside is comparable to uh, just about anybody not named Caleb Williams or Drake May in the country. Now, he's not close to that. I say that because he's big, strong, he's ridiculously fast, and he's got a strong arm. So he has all of the attributes. He has to he has to refine all of those attributes and make them efficient, uh, have fewer turnover-worthy plays. But if he harnesses all of that, it's pretty nice to have a guy that weighs, you know, 225 or whatever Jalen weighs and, you know, runs a sub 4-4. Four, four, uh, you know, at one point, um, you know, Nick was saying a couple of years ago, he's the fastest guy on the team. And they had they had Jamison Williams that's on that team, which I – you know, I'm not sure he was fastest, but he was he's right in the neighborhood if he wasn't. So that's a weapon to have if you can harness those attributes into fewer miscues. Uh, Tyler Buckner, the transfer from Notre Dame, I've seen play, you know, quite a bit. Saw him uh, from field level last year against Ohio State. He's a tough guy. He's a talented player. Uh, he's a he is a solid quarterback. Um, he's a little he's a better runner than you might think initially. I don't. I don't know that he has a strong, as strong an arm as Milrow or Ty Simpson, the other guy who's been uh, in the mix. Simpson's a coach's son. Uh, I think there are really high hopes for him because he's he's very accurate with the football in most cases. Um, his his thing is going to be experience playing 
uh, processing it at game speed, certainly as a coach's son and with the work he's done, he knows what to do. The idea is let's, you know, can you do that during the game at game speed? And then you mentioned Dylan Lonergan, who, um, you know, just purely passing the football. Uh, I would say he's, he's the best of the bunch, but he's a, but he's a true freshman. He was there for the spring, a really talented player. Not sure that he will factor in uh, this season. If he does, you know, barring injury, it's one of two things. Either he is really, really stinking good or they've had some trouble at quarterback. Um, so, and, and, you know, both things could be true in, in that situation. But I do think the future is extremely bright, whether that future comes uh, this season or in the next couple for Dylan Lonergan. He's a really, really talented passer. Reese, I've heard coaches that have coached a lot of football say when you get to the SEC, it really is just a different vibe. Brian Kelly entering year two in the SEC. You've covered him a long time. What are the differences that we might see from a Brian Kelly coach team this year? I don't know that you need to see a lot of differences, Dane. Uh, Brian Kelly is one of the top coaches in the country, and he was at Notre Dame. I don't think people quite appreciate what he accomplished at Notre Dame. Um, he's, he's a top-shelf coach. And just the structure and organization and discipline was evident in the way LSU improved over the course of last season. Now they had, uh, you know, they had some youth in places. They had some holes. They were cobbling together a whole lot of transfers last year, and they have some coming in this year. But uh, Brian's a demanding, tough guy. He, uh, you know, he's just won everywhere he's been. Grand Valley State and Notre Dame and all points in between. So I've got – He's not overmatched for one second, nor is he intimidated or bothered by what people might say or by an atmosphere or by crowds or SEC defensive linemen. He wanted to be able to recruit at the highest level um, and have a, as good an opportunity as possible to win a national championship. Now, I think you can do that at Notre Dame. I think you can. But I think it's also – probably fair to say that your recruiting pool is a little uh, more broad, a little broader at LSU than it might be at Notre Dame. And I think it was a, a time for Brian to make the move. And certainly he, he proved worthy in his first year. And I think they're, I think they're going to be outstanding again this year. You remember when you and I and uh, Mark May and Lou Holtz were in the green room up there and he got the Cincinnati job and they, they had a little press conference and he said he was going to uh, take over the team for the bowl game. And and somebody asked him, say, so you're actually going to coach the team and all and put in your offense? And how long is that going to take for you to take over? He said, about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, so that, that really got me rolling there. This guy believes in himself because usually, the, you know, the coach comes in there and he just watches practice and lets the holdover staff run everything. He just went ahead and took over. A very confident guy, and uh, you know, you, you see stuff like that on the, and you know that he he just had that it factor. But going on forward here on the East, we'll hit Georgia by itself, but. Who do you feel like uh, is somebody that's actually going to threaten the dogs here, if any? And I know the balls get them at home, but uh, what do you think about the East at this point, Reese? I don't think there's anybody in Georgia's class in the East, uh, and that includes Tennessee. I do think Tennessee's going to be good and have a really good season. And, and anybody can win a game. Anybody can can 
Well, maybe better put, let me rephrase that. Anybody can lose a game, especially if you go into a hostile environment with a lot of emotion and if Georgia's riding a, you know, 20 some odd game winning streak by the time they go, of course they can lose. And of course, Tennessee's good enough to win the game. But in terms of Tennessee being at Georgia's level overall, from a top to bottom roster standpoint, from a threat to win the national championship standpoint, um, I, I don't see it. I do think they're good. I think they're going to be really good. And I really hope that Joe Milton getting his third, you know, third shot to be a starting quarterback at a big time level after Michigan and the first time at Tennessee, he, he is an easy guy to root for. And not just because he has probably the strongest arm in college football. He's just a, a likable guy who really handled losing the job to Hendon Hooker beautifully kind of stayed attached to Hendon and and attached to people of Tennessee and has really, uh, you know, really come into his own as a as a man, which you love to see. And he's really talented. And, I, you know, I think Tennessee is going to be really good. I'm not sure. In fact, I won't say it that way. I don't think absent, you know, Georgia slipping up a little bit on that particular day that they're good enough. Both teams line up. Both teams play their A game. Tennessee comes out on top. I, I don't think they're good enough. Now, Georgia plays A minus B plus Tennessee might be good enough. But if both teams play their best, Georgia's the best team. I do think, you know, Tennessee's in for really big season, really difficult to have to go to Alabama, um, especially after the way last year went. They'll catch Florida early, but, you know, that's probably a bigger threat in name than in actuality, although I'm I'm high on the Gators. I bind the Gators low now for long term. Probably won't get a return on that investment this year. Um, but, you know, they catch them early while they're still, you know, getting settled with Graham Mertz and everything. Got a couple of tricky uh, road games at Kentucky, at Missouri, Georgia coming in, A&M coming in. So, you know, there's a difficult part to the schedule for Tennessee. But I do think that uh, I do think they're they're the biggest threat. Um, outside of that, Coach, I don't. I, I think you see some you know some good teams. Uh, South Carolina obviously is a threat with Spencer Rattler at quarterback. Juice Wells. Uh, they got a tight end transfer from Arkansas to offset the tight end they lost to Florida State. So you know I think I think South Carolina will have its moments. Um, but I wouldn't consider them a threat to Georgia. I believe that game's in Athens. If that game were in Columbia, maybe that's one of those, you know, uh, watch out early season, go in there, team that can score, look what happened to Tennessee. Getting them in Athens will certainly help Georgia there. Uh, the one that, you know, that Herb Street's high on and that I understand why, that I'm, I'm just not sold that there's a huge, huge jump coming is Kentucky. They're, they're good every year under Mark Stoops, you know, are they Georgia good? No, they're not. Um, I'm not really sure they're, they're even Tennessee good, but with Liam Cohen coming back as offensive coordinator, Devin Leary coming in, who's played, played a lot of ball at NC state. It's a really good player. Um, you know, I, maybe, maybe they will be a little bit better on offense because they're, they were woeful on, on offense last year, just never worked. And, you know, got a new running back in from Vanderbilt who got a thousand yards for the Commodores and then transferred north and Ray Davis. So, you know, this is, a, this is a team that maybe could spring an upset here and there. And, you know, the one little sleeper thing that I would say I would watch, 
Missouri, people didn't realize, maybe if they really paid attention to the Georgia game last year, Missouri made a gargantuan leap and improvement on defense last year. And they've got those corners coming back. They've, you know, they're trying to find a way to use that uh, wide receiver, Luther Burden, who was a blue-chip five-star freshman last year. So maybe Missouri sneaks around and clips somebody. But Missouri's going to be good on defense. Uh, they were really good last year, and a lot of those uh, key parts are back. Hey, that's a good analysis of, the, of everybody there. Uh, you know, the one thing about Kentucky, uh, Mark Stoops 0-10 against Georgia. I mean, there's a lot of people that be like that, but <laughs> I, I just don't see – I don't see the uh, – you know, even though Cohen's back and all that uh, – and then South Carolina's schedule just so you know they've lost four straight to Missouri. They got to go to A and M. They've never won there. They got to play uh, Clemson and also uh, North Carolina. Uh, and then they got to come to Georgia and Tennessee. I mean that's going to be rough. But uh, yeah. So in from uh, Dane's going to ask you the next question after me. But now the the, the elephant in the room is the dogs. All the people around here got their opinion of them. We don't need to go into the quarterback thing. We've talked about it. But just from my standpoint, you and I have talked off the air, just the pure presence of the athletes that we have here now, and you cover them inside and out and right there on the field, you got to be impressed with the pure athleticism of this team that Kirby's created. No question. It's it's a program that – just uh, continues to churn out elite level NFL caliber players. They've got a whole bunch more of them this year and they are so loaded that, you know, I expect Carson Beck to have a chance to uh, develop and there's not a ton of pressure on him. There's always some pressure on the quarterback of the number one team in the country. Let's not kid ourselves, but he's got, he's got some room. With that defense and 70% of the defensive production returning back, it's Mile Monday coming back and Pop coming back and Starks coming back. And, you know, as much as, I mean, look, Jalen Carter was a force of nature. No question. But last year, watching the Tennessee game down on the field, Stackhouse was wreaking havoc in the middle of that. He's still sitting in there. So there, it, it's, it's almost impossible to see anybody on Georgia's schedule prior to the calendar turning to November who could even take advantage of Georgia trying to give them a game. You know what I mean? I I mean, there are teams that maybe if you've got them in a road environment, maybe, but those teams are in Athens, South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida games in Jacksonville. But what I mean by that is it seems like prior to that for Georgia to lose, they'd need to give up, you know, a kick return, for a touchdown, a blocked punt, and two pick sixes, you know? And even then, you know, who on that schedule – and I'm not trying to crush your schedule. I'm saying this to praise how good Georgia is and how elite the talent is. I think they're so good that you got to get to Missouri maybe and probably Ole Miss before you even find a team that could conceivably take advantage of a a tough game for the dogs. So I, I, I think they cruise their way to the SEC championship game, and then we see what happens there. Yeah, plus the I, fact we've created such a home field advantage now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the last loss was against uh, South Carolina, the same way you're talking about. But we got Ole, Ole Miss and Missouri at home, so that 
if, if things aren't rolling good, you still got that crowd that people are just going nuts about. But all right, Dane, let's, I can't wait to hear what you're going to ask him here. I'm curious. You had a great interview, you and Pete Thamel, on your podcast with Kirby Smart last week. I encourage our audience to check that out. Kirby, with you guys, has his hair down a little bit, a little bit more relaxed than a news conference. What is it about Kirby that you see that helps him sustain success? Because this level that George has been at is very difficult to repeat year over year over year. He does a great job of staying in the present. That sounds cliched. Everybody says that, you know, some some coaches, my, my son's baseball coach at Duke called it being where your feet are. Rick Pitino used to call it stay in the precious present. All of those things that are cliched, but cliches sometimes are often true. And Kirby often doesn't phrase it that way, but I think he does a remarkable job of wanting to achieve right now. The story he told about celebrating Christmas in July and calling it Julymas with his family led to the story of, I said, well, what's the best Julymas gift you've ever gotten? And he said, well, my mom gets me scratch off lottery tickets. She says, you know, I know you don't like to go to the convenience store. And she didn't use this phrase, nor did he. But basically, basically it's like, what do you get a guy who's got everything? Well, I know you like to play the scratch off. I'll get your scratch off tickets. So I asked him if he had ever used the scratch-off tickets in talking to the team, lottery, to shape it into one of his patented speeches. And he chuckled and said, funny you should ask that. He said, we use it like the ping-pong balls in the hopper on the lottery. The more individual wins you get, practice reps, uh, you know, drills in the offseason, one-on-ones in a particular play in the game, the more lottery balls you put in the hopper, the better chance you have of getting the results you want. But you got to focus on getting those lottery balls in the hopper. Now I'm paraphrasing what he said a little bit, but I, I thought that I thought that really epitomized the way he goes about it. Win this little battle right here. Win this rep in practice. Correct this little mistake in practice right now. And if you do that then you create more opportunities to play, to start, to win, to win championships. And it's a, it's a really extraordinarily difficult thing for human beings to do in any walk of life. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, let's, let's call that just like uncommon, right? I mean, that's not, that's not common for people to be able to do that. And I think that he does it extraordinarily well. You know, the goal of having him on the podcast was to give people a little insight to him because I think by and large across college football, outside of, you know, Georgia fans, I think people know Kirby Smart's a great coach and a championship coach, but I didn't feel like they knew him very well. And hopefully, you know, the goal of that conversation was to give them a little insight into his personality, his philosophy. And, you know, he, he brought up a mutual friend of, of mine and Kirby's the late Trevor Moad, who, you know, had a great influence on, Kirby in terms of the importance of mental approach to sports and to life. And he's really, really taken that to an elite level as evidenced by the success that Georgia's had. Yeah, that's, that's really good that you were able to, first of all, get him on there and, and let him loosen up a little bit because he's on a schedule. That's just a remarkable schedule. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of weeks ago is they had, you know, we're still in practice. 
and his team, his son's junior high team had a game and he had it figured out that, that he could get there. Somebody brought him right after practice and he could watch the first, they had two scrimmages. He could watch the first scrimmage, go back and have the team meeting, come back and watch the second scrimmage and get back and watch the tape. And they had a cart out there for him and he was rolling back and forth and all these kids out there were trying to get pictures with him and all of you know, I basically went over to those kids and said, look, look, they got to watch his son play. Come on. And uh, you can get your picture with me. Of course, they didn't know who I was. But uh, <laughs> it was really, really cool to see him really relating to Andrew and getting to watch him like that. But and hey, let, let, me, let me tell you a quick autograph story that my wife and I got the biggest kick out of the other night. We were up uh, watching, watching my son play. And these two kids come up and ask me to sign their baseball. And so, you know, I think, okay, well, they, they know me from TV. They had no clue I was on TV, but they had figured out that I was one of the players' dads. So they came up and, oh, and they had the idea who I was. They were like, your son's a player? I'm like, yeah. Oh, will you sign our ball? But like, yeah, they had no idea. It was great. Yeah, when we used to go to the movies out there in, in Oklahoma, everybody wanted to get Jamel Holiday, Holloway's uh, interview you know i mean to talk to him the tv would be there and and the kids getting his getting a little bit of a signature or something and uh, he had it set up we had this one guy that never that nobody ever talked to at all and uh, so jamel said hey there's uh joe blow over there and they said really and they went over there and autographs. he was really loving it but hey in the last couple of minutes here we're just going to hit some quick hitters here Texas in the Big 12, Oklahoma moving in. Both of them question marks. Is Texas really for real? Can Oklahoma turn it around? Hit that real quick, and then we'll talk about the national picture. Um, I, I do think Texas is for real. A lot of scouts will tell you that they've got as many draftable players for this draft, if not more, probably more, um, than Alabama. And I compare them to Alabama because they play in week two. So I do think they are. What I've said on television and on the podcast many times, I'll stand by. I'm not worried about Texas and Tuscaloosa. They'll be fine. They'll play great. What I want to know, what are they going to do when they go to Houston? What are they going to do when Kansas comes in? What are they going to go do when the games that they should take care of business, are they, you know, are they going to come out flat? Because there's a long history of that. And, you know, Sark is, uh, oddly enough, not in, this is not casting aspersions at Steve. I think he's a really, really good coach. But he's 13 and 12 in his first two years at Texas. He's got to run the table in the regular season this year to match the last three years under Tom Herman. Now, I know that there were some extenuating circumstances. I understand all of that. I'm just saying that this is an important year for Texas. And one of the things that they did particularly last year was, you know, let a few games go that they should have won. Couldn't hold them. Yeah, they were still they were still improved, but they did. That's the that's the measure to me. It's not Tuscaloosa. They'll play great that night. They'll, they'll pull out everything in the book. They'll be ready. They'll play at an elite level that night. What do you do other nights? That's the question. Oklahoma, I don't know about the offense when Dylan Gabriel started and finished games last year was actually pretty good. Numbers were pretty good. Problem was when he didn't. Um, can they protect him, keep him healthy, defense be a little bit better? I expect a step forward this year 
I don't know if that means a step forward enough to make it to the Big 12 championship game when everybody, everybody in that league that's going to be the Super Bowl when they play Oklahoma or Texas, except maybe the new guys. The new guys don't care. The new teams in the Big 12, they're, they're just happy to be there. They get to play Oklahoma or Texas. They'll, they'll be happy. They're not mad at them for leaving. They're kind of glad. That's the reason they got in. So, But the old school, the Texas Techs, who I think is going to be very good, uh, they'll be going after them. But I do think Oklahoma and Texas um, both will take steps forward, and I think both are positioned um, to be factors in the SEC sooner rather than later, especially Texas. Yeah, I mean, my my people at Oklahoma who, you know, they're down on Oklahoma hoping they'll come back. They call Sark Mr. Eight and Four. I mean, that's been <laughs> his record, you know, for a long time, everywhere he's been, and it'll be good. It's because they don't want to talk about the game last year. Yeah, they don't want to talk about that game, that's for sure, because that yeah, game just – 49 to nothing or something, yeah, whatever it was. Unbelievable. But, you know, one thing about OU, they have replenished their, their roster with some really good transfers and recruiting, but it's still – you know, work in progress. But finishing up here, uh, you know, we can talk about Southern Cal's lack of defense and all that, but realistically, Ohio State and Michigan got to be the two teams that are going to be there in, in the end, and then who else is going to be there from our league and everywhere else. But how do you feel about those two? Uh, Ohio State and Michigan? Right. I'm just going to double down. I think Michigan's going to beat Georgia in the national championship game and win the national championship. Now, would I bet my house on it? No. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think Michigan's really good. Yeah, they, uh, I don't, they're working on Georgia already, I see, right? Yeah. They, well, you know, it's uh, uh, Harbaugh, who, by the way, channeled his inner Lekwalesa in his opening statement last year and, uh, or last week or a couple of days ago. Harbaugh has, you know, he's – Talked like Ric Flair. If you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. He even quoted the great nature boy. And so they've got the, the beat Georgia drill. And that probably irritates Ohio State because, you know, everything in Ohio State's geared for beating Michigan. And Michigan, after losing a million in a row to Ohio State's like, yeah, okay, we're good with you guys. We're after Georgia now. You know, so it's uh, – uh, look, Michigan's not head and shoulders above the crowd at all. Um but I think they're really good, and I think they've got a, I think they've got a chance to do it. This is one of the more balanced years in this fourteen playoff era. I, I also have uh, I have SC going to the playoff, and I was not quite as dismayed by their defense Saturday night as some. And uh, I also have Florida State going. Now that should get a lot of people like to have that quarterback at San. San Jose State had, that's for sure, right? Yeah, that's for, I agree. And now, you know, the Florida State pick could get whacked before September's over. I get, I know that. If they can just split those games and they'll have a, you know, they'll have a shot at the end. Yeah, I, I like Florida State too. And uh, be good to see them get, you know, something, somebody outside of the ACC. But hey, Reese, we appreciate the time. Uh, is there any chance for game day at all? I mean, you know, maybe South Carolina, maybe. Maybe Ole Miss, what do you think, looking ahead? Or is somebody else playing that day when we play South Carolina? Yeah, the South Carolina week will probably be a little bit tough, but you never know, you know, based on what, um, you know, based on what might happen this weekend and next. But, I, I look, Georgia has the longest winning streak in the, in the country. They've won back-to-back -back national championships. If we get a chance to go to Athens for a game, we will – 
we would love to come back to Athens. So I think there's probably opportunities as things come up over the course of the season that hopefully we'll see you guys um, between the hedges. That'd be fun. Just hopefully we're not having the homecoming parade where I got to pick you up and, and we got to navigate through there to go to our dinner today because you got a uh, big meeting there. But uh, that was yeah. So but if, but if you're taking if you're taking me out there for another one of those meals, then I'm in. Let's do that. Yeah, I mean, always we can, we we're not gonna do that. But I mean, can you believe the way we were navigating through the homecoming parade? I said, I told that cop, I got Reese Davis waving me up there. Let me go pick him up. He said, well, you're. Well, you're you're the you're the grand marshal of any homecoming parade you ever come in contact with. So yeah, I'm well, not surprised you got through there. It was great to to have you on again, and uh, fans, everything was good till you picked Michigan over Georgia, and that's going to really piss well, a lot of people off. Well, look, it will, and that's fine. Because what fun is it? It's like you know, it's like uh, why do you always pick pick the favorites? One of these days, before Harbaugh goes back to the NFL, he's got a breakthrough, doesn't he? One of you think I am going to give you credit for this though. A couple years ago, you said when Georgia finally breaks through, they're going to beat somebody's brains out. And then who would have thought that they're going to win 65 to 70? You remember saying that? Yeah. Yep. On this show, right, Dane? He did. It was uh, within the last couple of years. Yeah. So we'll yeah. probably cut that deal out about Georgia losing to Michigan, but we'll. <laughs> hey, look, it's the preseason, Jim. I would like to say that you, if I watch these two teams play over the next few weeks, and maybe they go in the championship game, and I've seen them both play all year, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be dumb, and yeah, we'll, you know, we'll if I think you. Georgia's better, you know, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick Georgia. That's the we'll key. We'll let you on that. But, yeah, well, then here's the thing. That's the key. Now, you can – it's fair to say I wouldn't change the preseason pick. You find out if you got your preseason pick right or not. But, like, when you vote in a poll, the, the mantra that I try to stick to, and I vote in the AP poll, is you want to call these instincts, predictions, whatever you want to say for a preseason poll. Your next vote, once the data starts coming in, it's incumbent on you not to try to validate your predictions. You are trying to be reflective of what you see. Good. And just because I think Michigan's going to be good, if Michigan is not that good, and I'm not going to keep them there just because, you know, I made a prediction about it. The job of a, of a voter and the job of a person in the selection committee room is not to try to validate what they might have predicted or what they suspect. It's to reflect what happens. And so I'll do that as best I can. Well, we trust your judgment on your votes. Some of these people, I don't know, some of these people voted Vanderbilt number one in the league in the preseason SEC. I mean, I was hard for me. They shouldn't even have a vote. But uh, that, that happens. But, hey, Reese, maybe, maybe it's like your old buddy Spurrier. Yeah, okay, just want to give him a little confidence. Right. Hey, that's he, right. That's he right. top 25. Give him a little confidence. Make him feel good. Mm-hmm. Hey, you do a good job on him. Hey, well, we appreciate everything and look forward right. to listening to everything you do. And uh, there's no question you're the number one voice in college football. We love you, Reese. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Always good to be with you.